0: Turn to Psalm 119. This morning we want to look at verses 129 to 136 of Psalm 119. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, I think if you simply grab one in front of you in the pew and turn to page, I think, 515 or 516, somewhere in that neighborhood, that would get you to our passage as well. Let me read our scripture for us this morning. And uh, here's what God says to us. These are God's words. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, "...that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law." You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word, and Father, our prayer is that even as we have sung to ourselves to keep our eyes upon the Lord. Father, we pray that we would do that even now as we look at Your Word. Father, You tell us in Your Word that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we will be changed into that glory from one degree of glory into another. So, Father, change us as we behold these things in Your Word this morning. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're making our way through Psalm 119, eight verses at a time. Psalm 119 overall uh, underscores to us the functional and the practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. These 22 eight-verse units, they underscore that, and yet they each bring their own particular emphases to how God's Word is functionally and practically valuable to our lives. This morning we're in unit 17 of these 22 units, and the orientation of the verses that I just read for us, 129 to 136, is about the direction that God's Word provides God's Word provides direction to God's people. And yet it's not simply the direction that God's Word provides, but that orientation is, is buffered by the focus that the psalmist has in regard to the direction that God's Word provides. The psalmist desires and, and is trusting that he would keep the directions that God's Word provides. I don't know if you noticed that, but the notion of keep orients uh, the first verse and then comes back and and it's repeated in the last verse. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So it's talking about the direction that God's word provides and, and it's talking about the... The, the warrant of keeping the direction that God's Word provides. Two things I want to say about this direction that God's Word provides. In the first four verses, 129 to 132, we see something of the psalmist expressing the desire that he has for the direction that God, God's Word provides. And then in 133 to 136, I want us to see something of the, the dependence that the psalmist expresses upon the direction that God's word provides. First of all, the desire. The, 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 the notion of inward desire is, is pouring out in these first four verses. He begins with simply saying, um, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore, my soul keeps them. If you would, the manner in which the psalmist is keeping God's word and, and abiding by God's directions, the, the adverb that I would put, he doesn't just keep them, he gladly keeps them. It is true on in one sense, on one level, that There's not a person here this morning, since we've all been made by God, we, we are all here by the kind provision of God. We are here on borrowed breath and borrowed heartbeats from our good God. There's a sense in which every one of us here this morning have a moral duty to keep God's Word. There's no exemptions. There's not a segment of humanity that could rightfully say, we don't owe Him nothing. God has spoken, and He has imparted wisdom. He has given commands. He has provided instruction. He has offered direction. He has made promises. In all of that wisdom and commands and instructions and directions and promises, there's, there's an, an obligation on the part of each and every person to pay attention and to abide by that and to keep that. And yet the psalmist, the psalmist is not keeping God's directions merely out of duty. It is true he has a duty as each of us do. But he is doing it not merely out of duty but out of desire. The psalmist is keeping God's directions because he wants to. Now, Back up. uh, Don't mishear what I just said. I didn't say what you think I just said. I just know how we're all looking for uh, loopholes to jump through. I'm not... what What I didn't just say is that we should only heed God's word when we have a desire to. No, God's word is ever relevant and ever true and ever good, and ever beautiful, whether we feel that toward it or not. But what I am suggesting is since the psalmist is not simply keeping God's directions out of moral duty, but out of a clear desire, it's showing that the real issue in our lives is not simply what we do. Oh, there's a deeper matter than that. It is what we desire. In fact, we get desire straightened out and right, then what we do will file in accordingly. You see, the, the, the psalmist wants to keep God's law. He wants to keep God's direction. He wants to abide by what God says. Well, why? Because he's convinced of this, that God's law is wonderful. And he gives a couple of reasons. There's more than this, I would suggest, but, but we only have so much time this morning. In verse 130, he, he gives a, a sense for, well, why does he think it's so wonderful? What's so wonderful about God's Word? The unfolding of your word gives light. There's our sense of direction there. We we don't have to figure things out on our own. We don't have to wander aimlessly through this life, hoping, kind of sort of hoping that we can figure it out and it works out well. We, we've been given direction. The unfolding of your words give light, it imparts understanding. To the simple. Need direction? We have a word on that. Need understanding? We have a word on that. Need some skill and insight to how to practically live? We got a word on that. Isn't that wonderful? Now, even as I say, isn't that wonderful, I would admit to you um, that there are still echoes of the rebellion from the garden that percolate around in our hearts and souls. There is still that same lingering counsel that, that, that pulsates in our hearts that gets us to question or to doubt the goodness of God and therefore the goodness of the directions that he gives in his word. There's never one of us this morning that, that doesn't struggle on some level with the remaining vestiges of the rebellion in our hearts to say, now, why did he tell me to live that way? I mean, is he out to ruin my life? Is he out to just, like, just flippantly make me unhappy? I mean, is he, is he, there, is he being cruel again? oh when we wonder, where do those doubts and questions come from? They, 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 they come right from that ornery dragon who disguised himself as a serpent and, uh, and whispered sweet lies into Adam and Eve's ears. Those whispers are still lingering today. But the psalmist, by the grace of God, is understanding that God's word uh, gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. And you see how that then, that then filters down into, into underscoring how passionately he desires God's word. Look at verse 131 I open my mouth and pant. I just don't know any other way to paint this picture for you, other than I don't have a dog. Um, but uh, if if I did have a dog, and some of you have a dog, you, you just you, when when the dog is hungry and thirsty, what does he do? That that old tongue hangs out on the side there, and and his mouth lags open, and and and, and here he is panting. And, and, and you, this is a, a picture of a of of, of just how. His desires are are intense towards God's word. This is this is not a casual thing here. Oh yeah, it's occasionally good to know that God's speaking in case I care to listen to Him. No, this is the Psalmist saying, "I am panting like a dog for Your word." It goes on. I I I long, uh, um, I uh, because I long for Your commandments. You see, when we truly grasp, when we have those moments because of God's grace, of mental sanity, and we see God's word for what it is, then we begin to, it begins to get a hold of us, and we begin to desire it intensely. And yet that... That doesn't take away the absence of a spiritual battle. The spiritual battle for you and I in the course of our week is will we turn to God's Word and and have our desires satisfied through what God reveals in His Word, or are we going to go look in someplace else? Our flesh will resist taking our longings and directing them to God's Word Our flesh will rebel against such strategies of consistently ingesting God's Word for for the satisfying influence that it has upon our hearts and souls. But then it even goes deeper in 132. uh, Hear me out. On the one level, one of the ways that God's Word is so wonderful is it gives us direction on how to live. But wait, there's more. God's Word doesn't, it, it's not just simply a direction book. Oh, oh, its directions are flawless. There's no defect in the directions that God's Word gives at all. But the psalmist is even going deeper. He, he longs for God's Word not just simply because it gives advice. He understands that through the intake of God's Word, he is Getting not just advice from God, but he is experiencing the God who gives advice. That's what he says in 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Lord, we desire your word. It's wonderful. It, it helps me to know how to live, but Lord, we desire your word because it's the avenue, it's the means, it's the media by which we get to live in relationship with you. So, what are we supposed to do with the word? Well, we look to it for its the advice. We look to the word for the advice that it gives, but we look to the word because of the person that we get to be close to through the agency of the word. And do you, do you see the, why I read number six a while ago during prayer time? Do you, do you see how it bleeds out there in the, in the language of, of 132? It'll bleed out again even deeper in the language in the next segment, in 135. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Lord, we desire to keep your word uh, uh, because, Lord, we desire you We want to experience not just the grace of your directions, but the grace of your presence. So there's something of the desire that the psalmist has for the directions that God's Word gives. Next, in verses 133 to 136, we see something of the dependence that the psalmist has on or upon the direction of God. Uh, that God's word gives. And so the shift here, we're still talking about direction from God, but the shift here is from the desire for that direction to the dependence upon that direction. Still very internal, very personal. And what he does in the first three verses in this segment, 133, 134, 135, he fires out three quick petitions that reflect his ongoing dependence upon the direction that God's word gives. And some of the reasons why he is convinced that he is utterly dependent upon the direction that God's word gives. 133, keep me steady. Or, I'm sorry. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion on me. Now, now drawing from the imagery of directions, just in a sense, the picture of these painting in verse one thirty three is he is he is on a path heading somewhere, and really what he's saying in in one thirty three is, Lord keep me on this path. Give me the grace to stay on this path. The psalmist knows the dangers that lurk on the path of following the Lord. The psalmist knows that some of those dangers that lurk on the path of following the Lord is dangers from within. Do you realize that you and I have saboteurs Within us, we we don't need much help from the devil or the world to to get off the path of life. We, we we perfectly have what it takes to get our own self off the path of life, and so that's why he's praying, Lord, keep steady my steps. Lord, 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 I can't keep my own steps steady. I I I need you to aid me to help me. I need grace because when when we. When we walk in the way of the Word, we pray that we will stay on the path that the Word directs. We are still prone to stumble. We are still prone to wander. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. He prays another prayer in 134. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Whereas maybe in 133, he's saying something along the lines of, with the direction your word gives, Lord, help me to stay on that path. What he's saying perhaps in 134 is, Lord, in the path that you have provided, oh, I've gotten off that path Lord, give me the grace to return back to that path. Redeem me, deliver me, rescue me from the oppressors that have have gotten me off of this path. When I wander and when I stumble, oh, God, put me back on this path. But think about the implication of that. It is good, it is warranted that when you and I disobey God, when we stumble from His commands, it is, it is perfectly legitimate. Jesus has purchased this for us to say, Lord, I've gotten off your path, would you forgive me? That's, that's appropriate. But He's doing more than saying, Oops, Lord, I got off your path, sorry. He's, he's saying, Lord, Put me back on this path. Why? Verse 134, the second part, that I may keep your precepts. Put me back on the path and help me to stay on that path. It's not just a pardon that he's asking for, but he's asking for a return or restoration of obedience. Now, don't hear me wrong. It's it 's bona fide to ask for forgiveness, to have our guilt assuaged when we disobey God, and yet, and yet that 's just a part of the component of what 's being expressed here. Yes, yes, we can have our guilt assuaged, but we can also have godliness reset and restored in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. I want to walk with you. Put me back on this path and give me the grace to continue staying on this path. And then another com- uh, request here in 135, which, which parallels really what, I'm gonna, what I've said just a while ago under the first point. I'm back at it again, um, where he says, um, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me, your statutes. And since, if he said in 134, Lord, help me to stay on your path. In 133, in 134, he said, Lord, put me back on your path. And really what he's saying in 135 is, Lord, walk with me on this path. Again, the Scripture is rich with wisdom for how to live, how to make good decisions, how to be moral. But it's, it's not just how to know and experience those things. The Scripture is given by by which we would get to live in relationship with the very God who made us. The deepest heartbeat that God has for His children, that which would bring Him the utmost glory for all eternity, but the deepest heartbeat that He has for His children is not just that we would walk in His ways, but that we would walk with Him. He says, here's my grand strategy for all that I'm doing on this universe. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's that's relational language there. That's just not language of, now sit up straight and and fly right. Because I said so. And leave me alone, by the way. Yeah. That's how impatient fathers talk. Which I would bring that to reminder then, moms and dads, as we parent our children, oh yes, we want to, we want our children to know that this is what obedience looks like, and this is what God's word says as to how to live. Yes, yes, yes. But but we want to convey to them not simply that mom and dad wants you to do what's right, but that mom and dad wants you. And I would venture to say, to the degree that we Bring that to the forefront, forefront, we'll have an easier task, although there is no easy task in parenting, but we'll have an easier task of figuring out uh, how to do the subsequent part of it as well. That's so what he's saying here. Is just, like, it's, here's, here's the path of life, and Lord, walk with me on this path. I want your face to be directed toward me, not turned away from me. I want your face to be shining upon me. Uh, even as I learn your statutes. And then the last verse in this segment is, he, he gets weepy. He says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your He, he turns from expressing his own desire to keep God's law and, and, and expressing his own dependence upon the direction that God's law gives. And just for a moment, he turns and makes note of what others are doing. There's others who have no desire for God's law. There's others who have no dependence upon God's law. Their desire is simply for themselves, and their dependence is, is rooted in themselves. And for a moment he weeps because they are the ones who are missing out. He is sad for them now he's 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 expressed other emotions up to this point in this psalm in regard to those who have no regard for God's law, who, do keep, who don't keep God's law. Uh, he, he's, 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 he's stated at least three times in Psalm 119104, 119, 113, and 11928, something of his hatred for those who don't keep God's law. There is a place in our hearts to be angry toward those who have no regard for God's law. He even expresses in Psalm 119, 120, something of the fear that he has for them and for the terror, terrorizing judgment that awaits those who have no regard for God's law. But here in this passage, as he thinks about those who have no regard for God's law, it's not anger at this moment that is flooding his heart. It is sadness. Where there is grace in our hearts, I would suggest to you, there is grief in our hearts in regard to those who have no regard for God's law. Yes, it's upsetting to see God's law spurned, to see God being dishonored by how people have no regard for God there's also a, there also must be a category in our hearts of mourning we we mourn what has happened in our culture we mourn that the leading cause of death in America is still abortion And, and, and yes, as we manage that in our own hearts, there, there's times when anger flutters up over that notion. And, 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 and yet, we ought to be a, a grieving people over that reality. The degrees untold of love lost because we think in life is an inconvenience. We ought to look at the craziness and the insanity of our culture, and there ought to be at least some modicum of category of mourning over what we see. Whether it's in the broader culture or whether it's even closer to home over people that we particularly know and love, who have little or no regard for God's law. Yes, we get flustered with them. Why can't they see straight and fly right? But where is our mourning, our grieving for them? And, and yet even deeper than that, you know it's true. There's, there's levels and pockets of resistance even in our own hearts still that has no or little regard for God's law. Where is our grieving and our mourning even for the remaining vestiges of that gunk that still lingers and percolates around in our own hearts and souls? For I suspect that insofar as we will be used to help others out of their mess, a part of helping people out of their mess is not simply that we are angry at them, but that we are grieving for them. My eyes shed tears of streams. Streams of tears, I'm sorry, because people do not keep your law. On the very eve of his crucifixion, our Lord stood outside of Jerusalem, and he wept. I would have gathered you as a, as, as a, as a hen gathers her chicks, but you will, were not willing. And yet, in God's kindness, he has brought us here this morning. He's brought us here this morning to hear something from God and to see something from our Savior, the world's only Savior, Jesus Christ, who this morning, as we've gathered here, offers us, extends to us an invitation that we would turn from ourselves and turn from our sins, that, that we would recognize that the path that's been clearly laid out for us in God's Word, we have not stayed on that path. We've rebelled against it, and yet God offers amnesty. He offers a fresh start. He offers a new beginning for all who look to Jesus. So turn to Christ. Turn to Christ, and He will take your tears of mourning over God's broken law, and He will impart His joy into our hearts. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You that there is no word quite like Your Word. Oh, Father, it's precious to us because of Your grace being real to us. Father, may it be noted of us, first of all, that we are Your people who want to walk with You on the path that You have put before us. And, Father, as we look and see others not on that path, Father, use us as Your instruments with tenderness, with compassion, with pity, with hearts that are mournful. Father, may You use us to bring others to Your Son, Jesus, that we together might walk on the path that you've set before us, that we might each be able to hear in our own conscience the words of your Spirit, I am your God. You are my people. And so, Father, cause us to look to Christ this morning, even as we once again sing a part of this song. Father, use it as a means to open our eyes that we would see a beautiful, powerful Savior who's willing to pardon and give new life to all who look to Him. For we pray this in Jesus' name.